The Gospel of John, chapter 4. Let's start here in verse 39. Many of the Samaritans from that town, Sukkar, uh, believed in him because of the woman's testimony. Here's what she said. He told me everything I ever did. And so the Samaritans came to him and they urged him to stay with them. And he stayed two days. And because of his words, many more became believers. Because of his words. Do you see, this is what happened with the Samaritan woman. He didn't heal her. He didn't do anything. He told her stuff that nobody would know. But she listened to his words. They listened to his words and became believers. And they said to the woman, we no longer believe because of what you said. Now we have heard for ourselves and we know that this man really is the savior of the world. He's just there two days. What could you say in two days to bring people to this? I keep thinking about what John said in chapter 1. And though the world was made through him, the world did not recognize him. He came to that which was his own, his own people. But his own would not receive him. Yet to all who received him, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. And I'm asking us to think, I'm asking us to think about this. As we're reading scripture, and I talk Sunday about listening, because I don't think you can overstate that. When he tells us, when he tells us the truth about him, are we willing to believe it? So we read Sunday night real quickly, the next little narrative that John gives us here. After two days, verse 43, chapter 4, after two days he left for Galilee. Now Jesus himself had pointed out that a prophet has no honor in his own country. And when he arrived, and isn't that interesting? What does a prophet have other than his message? Not much. Hmm. Familiarity, maybe. I'm not sure. When he had arrived in Galilee, the Galileans welcomed him. And they had, all, they had seen all that he had done, evidently a bunch of stuff, in Jerusalem at the Passover feast, for they had all been there. And once more he visited Cana in Galilee, where he had turned the water into wine. 
That's the first sign he did. And there was a certain royal official whose son lay sick at Capernaum. And when this man heard that Jesus had arrived in Galilee from Judea, he went to him and he begged him to come and to heal his son who was close, close to death. And Jesus says this, unless you people see miraculous signs and wonders, Jesus told him, you will never believe. That's an interesting statement. I don't know if I have that sorted out yet. Is Jesus getting on to him? I don't think so. I've wondered at different times. Jesus, mine says he told him. Does anybody say anything different than that? I usually read this in four or five translations and I didn't. But even if he is talking to him, sometimes you're talking to him and you're talking to him on behalf of everybody. And he kind of is, evidently, because he said, you people, not you, sir, but you people. Because this guy's come this long distance. That's a day's ride. I don't care what you're riding. Uh, he's come a long distance just because of his faith in Jesus. And the royal official said, Sir, come down before my child dies. He doesn't, he doesn't answer, and so I'm wondering, I think if you're just making this an accusation against the guy, maybe we're missing something. The royal official said, Sir, come down before my child dies. Jesus replied, You may go, your son will live. What did Jesus do? A miracle from afar. He spoke. At, at this point in history, he didn't do a thing. He just said something. He just said something. What does that do for us when Jesus just says something? What does he have to do? Can he just can he just say something? This, this, this is what I'm saying. We, we, we judge things a lot by what's happening. We have to be real careful of that.
And what we have to make sure of is that our perspective comes from what he says. And I'm not talking about the words that somebody put in red letters in your Bible. Uh, if he says it through the apostles, it's still the revelation of him. But I pay attention to what he says. And is that, is that enough? Is just what he says enough? Because the next statement, same verse in my Bible, the next statement, the man took Jesus at his word and departed. See, I think John's building a case here. I think he does this over and over. Yes, ma'am? Um, he's, he's, I don't, I don't think he's Roman at all. Uh, I think he's under the influence of the Roman government. That's just what, they live in occupation. It's Roman occupation. So, uh, he's not a leader of the Jewish people. He's a royal official. Evidently, he's serving the king, which would be Herod. But so if you're, he's in, he's in Herod's service of some sort. That's as simple as I know how to put it. So is he a leader of the Jewish nation? No. And neither was the woman at Sychar. Mm-mm. No. Who's not, a lead, who's not a leader of the people, and the woman didn't. No, and he's not in uh, Sukkar or Sukkar. Uh, he's from After two days, he left for Galilee. Yeah, he's so he's changed locations. But the disciples have got to be part of the conversation back up here in 48. And so my premise with all of this, uh, well, let's just finish the little narrative here. And while he was still on the way, his servants met him with the news that the boy was living. Now, how can, how, what did that just do for him? He took Jesus at his word. That's the historical record. And he left without Jesus. He came there to get Jesus and leave with Jesus. He left without Jesus at Jesus' word. And on his way, here come the servants and meet him. And the very thing he wanted has happened. So the guy rides 20 miles in silence thinking about something else. He's not thinking about a cotton-picking thing else. You got, a, you got a kid that's about to die and you're going to get help? What are you thinking about the whole time you're riding? You're not thinking about anything else. If I can just get there, if I can just get him, he might be thinking, could I buy a faster horse? Could we leave a servant there? Could we, I don't know, but he, in his... 
He's figuring out how to swap horses and how to get the fast. He's figuring out how to get Jesus back there as fast as he can is what he's doing. As a father, that's what I figure. And he gets there and Jesus said, go on. You may go, your son will live. The man took Jesus at his word and departed. That is one of the most intriguing, powerful statements in this entire gospel to me. Will we do this? What about when Jesus says something that we don't particularly like? Will we do this? What about, more importantly, what about when Jesus says something and you just can't believe it? Really? I mean, is it easier for him to just turn around and ride back, or is it easier for him to collect Jesus? And then it's the fastest thing to be done is for him to turn around and ride back. That's the fastest thing to be done. Jesus said, your son will live. Well, that's his objective. That's the thing he wants more than anything. Yes, sir? This man did exactly what Jesus expects us to do. This man listened to, listened to Jesus and obeyed him and had faith in him. And How big a deal is that? You see, I think this is I think this is this is an illustration of why John wrote the letter. The only the only thing there's no miraculous sign done as far as this. I'm just talking about the man turning his horse around and going back the opposite direction. He has no more proof that Jesus Jesus is who Jesus claims to be, that he has the authority and the power that this man has heard of him having or, or is convinced that he may possess. He has nothing to tip the scales one way or another more than he had when he rode up there. Nothing. And the apostles, Mark chapter 3, are going to say, uh, Lord, increase our faith. And my paraphrase, Jesus' reply is, you're not using what you got. What do you want more for? Because if you had faith as tiny as a mustard seed, you could do the impossible. This guy had enough faith to ride over there and he had enough faith with, with nothing in between to turn around and ride back. I don't know which is greater, but they're both outstanding. 
And I think this man, I think John puts this in here by inspiration of the Spirit as, a, as an illustration of those who would receive him and believe on his name. Because the word of Jesus is all this guy's got to go on. Hmm. While he was still on his way, his servants met him with the news that the boy was living. And when he inquired as to the time the boy, his son got better, they said to him, the fever left him yesterday at the seventh hour. And then the father realized that this was the exact time at which Jesus had said to him, your son will live. And so he and all of his household believed. This was the second miraculous sign that Jesus performed having come from Judea to Galilee. So just to take him at his word, we used to sing a song with that in there. Hmm. Just to take him at his word. So we take that. Here's what we do. Yes, ma'am. So do we believe him? It's very interesting. It's very interesting over here in chapter 6. into this before long but he told them don't work for the food that spoils you know they chased him around the lake because he fed everybody with the tortillas and the sardines <laughs> and then they asked him and they said what must we do to do the works God requires and Jesus answered this is the work of God to believe in the one he has sent. So is that right? Well, there's more to it than that. Now, according to Jesus, there's not more to it than that. There's just that. Well, I did that, uh-huh. Guess what now? We got to did that. The guy did that when he rode all the way over where Jesus was. Jesus said, good, now you can do that. You're on your way. 
You rode over here because you believed, didn't you? Yes, sir. Good. Now that you got done with that, guess what you need to do? You need to turn around and ride back because I just told you. Turn around and ride back. There's no end to this. There's no end to this. We keep, we keep seeing this, and that's, it's not a Jewish problem or a Gentile problem. It's just a sinner problem. Our tendency is to see this Here, here's, here's, people ask me this a lot. Well, then, is believing enough? My answer is believing's all there is. That's what the apostles, Mark 3, were wanting. They wanted to believe enough. Jesus said, you're not using the belief you got. It's not me believing enough. Why, do we, want, we don't want to believe any extra? We don't want to do any extra. We just want to do just enough. We're always looking for enough. I want to teach enough. I want to preach enough. I want, I want to encourage enough. I want to, mm-mm. The Bible doesn't say that. Name me one time the Bible said teach enough, preach enough, baptize enough, encourage enough, serve enough. <coughs> enough is not God's point. Now you got commandments, love enough. No, we're not going to love enough. What's a commandment? Love. love, serve, teach, encourage, and so on. To do that. Do that from what perspective? Perspective of faith. Not faith in faith, not faith in enough, faith in in him, not faith in loving, not faith in serving, not faith in preaching, not faith in teaching, not faith, no, faith in him, the person. Come over here with me to Psalm 42. And as we, as we challenge ourselves to do this, and this is what I'm offering to us in the book of John. Don't look through the book of John and get some good moral lessons to follow. You can follow all the moral lessons you want to in Scripture, and that can leave you at a distance from God. I've watched people do it. I've watched people give themselves to what they would call personal evangelism teaching and preaching the gospel message about Jesus. And I've watched them keep God at arm's length. I've watched people give their lives for the body. I'm going to deke or I'm going to eld, you know. I'm going to. And somewhere in that, they're keeping God at arm's length.
I had a friend recently asked me about what the devil's doing. You know what the devil's doing? He's lying all the time. You know where he's trying to get your perspective to come from? You. What you do, what you say. He doesn't care what you do as long as you're not in pursuit of Jesus. As long as you're not in pursuit of him, then your faith is in whatever you're doing and not in him, the person. And as we're bringing people to him, and in some regards, yes, that's true, we're bringing people to the church, you better be real careful about that. Are we bringing people to correct worship? Are we bringing them to a person whose word is absolute, whose promises are sure and certain? Are we bringing people to activity? Come to our church. We sing really good. We eat hot dogs every day. We have ice cream every night. We have whatever, whatever, whatever people are doing. And I'm not against ice cream, hot dogs, or singing. We just take care of every poor person on the planet. I'm not against taking care of poor people. <coughs> but regardless what we're doing, if it doesn't come from the perspective of faith in Jesus, we're missing. Maybe everything. Maybe everything. We, ha we have the ability to focus and trust in anything or anybody other than him. Here's what our souls are searching for and longing for. And this is not, this is not, Well, never mind. Just talk about what it is. Come over with me to Psalm 42. The Psalms are summaries, if you will. They put all of God's message down into a song uh, or main points, not all of God's message necessarily, but main points of God's message to his people. They put that down in the simple format of poetry that you could memorize, think of. It puts pictures in your mind. As the deer pants for streams of water, so my soul pants for you, O God. My soul, my soul thirst for God. For the living God. This is not a pagan on the street. This is an inspired covenant related child of God writing this song. My soul, leader of God's people. My soul thirsts for God, for the living God. Where can I go and meet with God? Yeah? Where can we go? Where can we go 
and meet with God. Our souls with him. It's so hard for us because we're finite people and we live in a physical world and we see things with our eyeballs and we hear things with our ears and we feel things with our senses and God's invisible and at this point Jesus is too. But is he real to us? Is he real to us? You see, I think our flesh and our spirit are in struggle with each other. I think they're in battle with each other. And I think sometimes our flesh is trying to talk our spirit out of what it knows and believes to be sure and certain. That Jesus is real. Jesus could be physically standing here right now and he couldn't be any more real than he is. And all I have to back that up is the word of God. All the man had to turn his horse around and go back home was the word of God. That's all he had. And in demand more, he just took God at his word, literally. And he went on to find God's blessing. Where can I go and meet with God? Here's his circumstance. This doesn't sound like real life. My tears have been my food day and night. Ever been there? Had tears for breakfast, uh, had leftovers for lunch and for supper. More tears. This is serious. This, this, this is not... This is serious. This is a big deal. My tears have been my food day and night. What's the result of that? Well, that's because of stuff that's happening. Psalmist is absolutely overwhelmed. My tears have been my food day and night, while men say to me all day long, where is your God? Where? What's that in reference to? Distance. He's not close to you. You're over here eating your tears and your misery, your misery, your failure, your circumstances, your whatever. All you've got is you and your stuff, and here you sit. That's what everybody says. Where's your God? What was his question? Where can I go and meet with my God? Where can I go and know that he is here? When Paul's trying to keep the Philippian church from anxiety and worry and church splits and arguments, chapter 4 in there somewhere, I think about verse 5, he says this, The Lord is near. He's near. Where is your God? These things I remember as I pour out my soul, how I used to go with the multitude leading the procession to the house of God. 
I go back in my memory and I think of times when, when God felt near and I felt near to him and I felt in his purpose and I felt part of what was going on with shouts of joy and thanksgiving among the festive throng. And now he's got another question for himself. He's talking to himself. When you're talking to your soul, you're talking to yourself. Why are you downcast, O oh my soul? And why so disturbed within me? Put your hope in God. For I will yet praise him, my God and my Savior. My soul is downcast within me. Therefore, I will remember you from the land of Jordan, from the heights of Hermon, from the Mount Mizar. The deep calls to deep and the roar of your waterfalls. All your waves and breakers have swept over me. By day, the Lord directs his love. All night long, his song is with me. A prayer to the God of my life. Hmm. I say to God, my rock, why have you forgotten me? And why must I go about mourning and oppressed by the enemy? My bones suffer mortal agony and my foes taunt me, saying to me all day long, where is your God? When are my circumstances going to vindicate my faith in you? When is that going to happen? When? Why are you so downcast, O oh my soul? Why so disturbed within me? Put your hope in God, for I will yet praise him, my Savior and my God. Psalm 43, these go together, by the way. Vindicate me, O God, and please my, plead my cause against, cause against an ungodly nation. Rescue me from deceitful and wicked men. You are God, my stronghold. Why have you rejected me, and why must I go about mourning, oppressed by the enemy? Listen to verse 3 here. Send forth your light and your truth. Let them guide me. Where can I go? Let your light guide me. Where can I go? Let your truth guide me. Where can I go? Remember the avenue of prayer I have to the God of my life, O soul. Where can I go? Send forth your light and your truth and let them guide me. Let them bring me to your holy mountain to the place where you dwell. Then will I go to the altar of God, to God, my joy and my delight. I will praise you with the harp, O God, my God. Why are you downcast, O my soul? Why so disturbed within me? Put your hope in God, for I will yet praise him, my Savior and my God. And so I read this just simply to say, no matter where you are in Scripture, God's offering the same education. 
There is, there is a cure for our perspective, and it comes from the truth and the light of God. Where is God? Let the truth guide you there. Let God's word guide you there. Let his word be a lamp unto your feet and a light unto your path. I don't feel close to God, oh my soul. He's preaching to his soul. Why are you downcast, oh my soul? Why are you eating tears for breakfast and tears? There's nothing sinful about being sad or about being down. There's something sinful about looking to our circumstances, looking to ourselves, and looking to the world around us, even if it be God's people. These, these people that are, telling, that are telling the psalmist, where is your God? This guy's not spending time with the pagans. These are God's people telling him that. It's Israel that's the wicked nation he needs the rescue from, not the Ammonites. There's only one source for a proper perspective about what's going on and what's yet to come. And that's the light and the truth of God's word. And will we let God's word draw us to him? Will we let God's word draw us away from ourselves and draw us to him? Appreciated very much Jim's prayer a while ago. Be with us tonight as we study and consider and sing that we might know him better. I don't know what we pray for the church. I'm very impressed with all the prayers I hear on a public level. Here, by the way, I haven't heard every Christian in the world pray, but I've heard brothers all over the world pray. And I'm, I'm very encouraged by the prayers that are said in this family, by the men here. Just what good would that do us to know Jesus better? What on earth would that accomplish? Besides restoring our soul, besides changing our perspective, besides enabling us to ride toward or ride back from wherever it is we got to go and whatever it is we got to do. To face the sorrow or the tragedy or the challenge or the whatever it is, what, this, is this is what God has given us to direct us. My point with Psalm 42 and 43 is God's word has always been that way, has always served that purpose. And even in the law of Moses, I mean, read, read the book of Leviticus, read the book of Numbers and come away with what this psalmist is praying right here. Has this guy got some faith in God? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know, but as far as specific commands, I think Israel had more commands than we do. I don't know. 
I know temptation for sinners is the same thing. The devil's fine with you taking God's commands and applying them to yourself and for yourself and being in pursuit of them as long as it brings you to trust in yourself and love yourself and promote yourself. What he doesn't want is that being a connection to God. And so as God tells us things, as, as we come together to worship, because the Bible says worship God, does that bring us close to God? Emotionally, it should. Spiritually, how are you going to get closer to God than what Jesus brings you? The righteous died for the unrighteous, to bring you to God. So if Jesus has brought me to God, if he has so prepared me for God's purpose and for a relationship with God and God's purpose, if he has so prepared me for that, that God can dwell within me, How much cleaner can I get? See, I hear us talk about our relationship with God as if it depended on us. Well, it's hard to separate our emotions from what's going on, from what we see and smell and taste and touch and hear. But at some point, we've got to let our souls be educated by the word of God. That's what the psalmist is praying and singing right here. Oh, soul, let's get over here and hear what God said. Let God's truth bring me to God. So, ask me lots of questions. Yes, sir. There was just something that I saw when I read this. You know, a royal official came and asked him to uh, heal his son. He's from Capernaum. And Jesus taught in the synagogue there. And it says in the Bible, there were a lot of miracles get there. He obviously already knew who Jesus was. Yeah. He already knew and he already believed. That's why he came. I, think, I believe that's why he went there. That's why he went there. He, he already believed who Jesus was. And... If he had not believed, why would he leave when Jesus said go? No, he did too. He did too. So he did leave when Jesus said go because he already knew who Jesus was and he believed the truth. So why wasn't everybody in Capernaum following Jesus around? <laughs> See? They just, and this is my point, Chuck. They just were not. They could have, but they were not. Yes, ma'am. Yeah. Really, really well. Because you want to believe, you think you believe, but Lord help me. And see, here, here's, here's my... Faith is a good thing. 
right? And I want it, right? How many of us want less faith? Nah, not for that. How many of us want more faith? Here's what Jesus lays out. What is the power? In first place, how does Jesus do business? Maybe it works this way with faith. If we have, if we have a little bit of something and we're faithful with it, then what happens? We get more. So what if I have a little bit of faith and I put that little bit of faith in the fact that I have faith No, that's not faithful with it, is it? What if I take the little bit of faith I have and then make fun of somebody else because they don't have as much, but they got less faith than I do. So, no, that's not faithful with it. What if I take the little bit of faith I have and just be honest about who is it in? This is so simple. It just seems like it'd be better if it was more complicated. Well, I think there's a reason it's not. It is the greatest challenge, yes, sir. The power is in the object of our faith. That's the power. Is it or not? Now, let's be honest for a second. Where is the power? And I understand we're, there's power in prayer. My brothers and sisters, power is in God. The power is in the gospel. And therefore, is prayer powerful when it comes from faith? Powerful in my life. Think about, I had a sister, I, I, I studied prayer for about a year, and then I did preaching and teaching on prayer for six months or a year after that. That's about 15, 15 or 17 years ago now. And no, I've never gotten over that. And I had a shepherd's wife in a congregation where we were, and she said, uh, you know, I saw a little cartoon, and she gave me a little clip of it, and it said, if you're having trouble praying, best thing to do is just talk to God about it. <laughs> but see our prayer I'm not fussing at us for Lord increase my faith I'm just asking us think about that if you didn't have faith why are you praying if you're not praying who are you talking to The only thing the devil can do about your faith is lie to you about it. Well, you're going to have to have more than you got. No, I'm not. I don't have to have more than I got. I do need to acknowledge who is it in. And see, there's this. There's this. And that's just how we are as sinners. That's how messed up we are. We want to separate the faith that we have from the one that it's in and make it about how much we've got and how good we are at showing it and how good we are at sharing it. And 
I'll never be good enough at that. But the only reason I do it is because of the one it's in. So do we want more? Yeah. Is that a good thing? Maybe, maybe not. Maybe, maybe not. Yes, sir? I understand the saying, saying that you want more, but if it's centered on who's the object of your faith, that's all there is. I mean, you, your every answer in life is God. It's in his word, and it's in how he wants you to live. It's just, mm -hmm. it is. It, you know, it, it, um, this man went, got his answer, knew that's what he needed, turned around and left, and it was answered. And then he had to get up and go to work the next morning, yeah. I mean, you know? He didn't then walk down the street and ask somebody else, what else can I do? Can I get an ice pack and go put it on to get his fever down or something like that? No, it was it. No. And that's the way we need to be with God. We may not understand. We may not get the answer we want. We may not get an answer right away. But we put it in his hands. And it's, it's and see, this, this... And I'm not sure you can oversimplify it, but when people talk about faith is not enough, well, it depends on how you're using the word. Believing's not enough. Give me the scripture for that. Well, faith alone. Yeah, now you're going to have to go to the context of James and the way he's using faith. You got to do something. They are doing something. Confessing Jesus as the Son of God, they're shuddering and they're believing and they're lost. Well, that's not John's use of the word believing. And I realize it's a verb 98 times in John. The verb or not the verb is not the point. The point is, who is it in? Who is the object of our faith? And it's, it's challenging. It's challenging. But that the light and the truth of God's word is never leading us to us. Jesus said very clearly one time in the Gospel of Luke, uh, a man's life does not consist in the abundance of his possessions. It's kind of an open statement. So I'm all for us. I think the direction scripture is taking us, Nancy, is be faithful. In some regard, I think our, our faith matures as our understanding about Jesus grows and hopefully the more the more birthdays we have and the experience we have the better we know him but there's not something else to do other than to get to know him I already know him I know so I'm trying to get to know him I think Paul might have been the world's best missionary and he wrote almost half a New Testament 
And he said, this is what I want. I want to know Christ. The fellowship of sharing in his sufferings. Sharing his resurrection. I think that's a good thing for me to want. And so why are we talking about all this? I'm talking about all this tonight as a rationale for why we're taking scripture and we're looking for Jesus. You can take scripture and look for the need of faith if you want to, if you're having some argument with yourself that faith is not very important and it doesn't matter, or you're trying to convince somebody else for the need of faith. I'm not saying you can't take scripture and do that, but at some point, you got to take the scripture and present Jesus to myself and Jesus to my neighbor. And they have to make the decision to get on the horse and ride. John said some people decided to and some people decided not to. 2,000 years later, it's still the same thing over and over. And a commandment about the necessity of faith does not produce faith. You can't give a sinner a commandment and produce anything. Sufficient authority but it's not sufficient appeal. And so to grow people's faith in Jesus, we talk about Jesus. It's what the psalmist did with his own soul. To grow his perspective, his, his faith-guided perspective in God and his promises, what did he do? He talked to his soul about God. So let's pray. Almighty God and Father in heaven, we love you, Father, for who you are. Thank you for the opportunity to consider these things together. And Father, I don't know everything. I sure don't mean to sound like I do. There's a great task before us is to trust you, to submit ourselves to you when we have nothing more than your word to guide us, to direct us, to lead us, to give us pause or to make us stop. And it is enough, Father, for us. But we are weak and we struggle, Father. We struggle to give credit, not to the amount of faith that we have, but to the reality and the object that is behind our faith. And that is where the credit is due. And if you have seen fit in your mercy and your grace, Father, to bring us thus far, to help us leave the house as the royal official did and go full blast toward your help, then surely, Father, it is by your grace and your power and your mercy that we will turn around and ride home based on your word. We thank you, Father, for wanting, wanting, Father, desperately what it is we want, and that is eternal life, 
for us to be saved, for us to be empowered, for us to be motivated, Father, by the truth of your word and the certainty of your promises. And when we are convinced, Father, when we are convinced of this, it directs our lives and it opens our hearts and our mouths and our hands to the service and help and encouragement of others. Please, God, bless the truth of your word about Jesus, our Savior. Bless it in our minds, in our hearts, and in our lives. Bless it, Father, to your glory. Help the truth we learn and know about him to bring glory to you. We thank you for hearing our prayer. We praise you for being a God who's answered it according to your will already. Amen.